Welcome back. We're in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. Let's go, Genesis 50, verse 19. So what's going on here? So Jacob has passed away. Joseph and his brothers and, and others went up from Egypt back to the land of Canaan to bury dad. Now his brothers are freaked out that Joseph is going to turn on them. They're thinking dad has kept Joseph at bay. He says he forgives us, but does he really forgive us? And now that dad's gone, he is going to take us down. So they are fearful. And we talked about yesterday how that is so wrong. And with Joseph being a type of Christ, being a wonderful picture of the future Christ, not a perfect picture, just pointing towards him. It's a type of Christ, not the Christ. That forgiveness is there. It's immediate and it's full. That's what God is so good at and that's what we have to get better at is not just forgiving, but forgiving immediately and fully. Why? Because that's how God forgives us, right? Unconditional love is not based on holding things over your spouse or your friend or someone else that happened in the past where it's like, oh yeah, I love you, but I'm going to bring this thing up to hurt you and remind you that you're not perfect, right? No, love has no wrongs and it has no memory of those wrongs. So in verse 19 or 18, his brother said, behold, we are your servants. They're talking to Joseph. They're they're, they're his servants? And his brother says this in 19. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. We've talked about this on so many of the podcasts, afraid, right? Someone counted and said there's roughly 365 verses that are like, don't be afraid, do not fear, fear not. And here's another one of them. That's, that's enough for one every single day of the year. Why do you think God tells us that over and over and over in his love letter to us called the Bible? It's because he knows that we have a tendency to be afraid. We want to be afraid and have that fear rather than faith because fear is the opposite of faith. If we are afraid, then we are lacking faith. If we are faithful, then we will not be afraid. All right, so the moment we get that fear, We need to have that gut check, that head slap and say, this is not good. This is not fun. It's not uh, joyful. I know it's not from God. So what do I do with this fear? I need to turn it on its head. I need to be faithful. I need to say, God, I'm giving this to you. This is the thing that makes me fearful. God, help me to be faithful and not worry about that, to trust you, right? To put our reliance on you. So he says, do not be afraid for I am in the place of God. What does that mean? Well, what that's saying is that Joseph is close to God, and he knows that if God forgives him, we should forgive too, that he is being faithful to God. And if he's being faithful to God, then he's not going to fear his brothers. He's not going to hold a wrong over him over their head in the past and always bring it up every time something goes wrong and be like, yeah, but you remember that time when you blank, 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 right? You may do this. Think about this. If you have a spouse, I want you to think about this. When do you pull up that thing from the past that hurts them? that you know is going to kind of shut them up, put them in their place. Maybe it'll set them off and it's a hot button for them and they just go ballistic and you want them to do that. Maybe you're just trying to have some power or control over them. No, no, no. Think about it, pray about it, and stop doing it. Maybe it's someone else in your life. But we don't want to hold on to anything in the past. I don't care how much someone hurt you. There are some amazing stories out there of people who have been brutally hurt, savagely hurt, raped, beaten, caged, put in dungeons, etc. And they have gotten to a place where they don't look in the past at that. They say, that event has made me stronger in who I am in Christ. But I'm not going to go back there and I'm not going to hold it over anybody. I'm going to forgive and move forward. 
So a wonderful lesson that we can take away from that. Now, verse 20, love this one. But as for you, he's talking to his brothers, Joseph is, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. One of the most meaningful verses to me in all the Bible, and perhaps to you as well. Maybe you've never even seen it. Maybe you just kind of heard it. Well, here it is right here in the last chapter, almost the last couple of verses in Genesis. And Joseph is saying, you meant evil against me. That means you meant to harm me. You meant to hurt me. You meant to do something that puts you in a better position with uh, power or pride or money and all of that, right? His brothers were jealous of him. They wanted to kill him. They decided to sell him for money. So they meant all of these evil things against him. They didn't do anything that was good for Joseph. They did. They meant pure evil because they were being led by who? The devil and or his the demons, right? Now remember, the devil can only be in one place at one time. He can only be tempting one person at one time. We always say the devil generically, but you know it's almost always his demons and almost never the devil because the devil can only be in one place. So I think he's going after the people that he thinks yeah, can make the biggest impact for the devil's kingdom uh, at any one point in time on the earth, and the demons do the rest of the work. So generally it's the demons who are convincing us and tempting us to do things that we ought not to do that violate the commandments of God, that violate the character of God. So he's saying, you meant evil against me, and I know that you meant it, right? It wasn't accidental. It didn't just happen. You intended evil against me. This next word, but, but God, that is a wonderful place to start anytime we're feeling doubtful. But God, you know, you can say, but God loves me, but God wants me to have faith, but God knows who I am, but God has saved me, but God died for me. And he says, but God meant it for good. Wait, you're telling me that the evil that was done against me was meant for good? That's exactly what I'm saying, and that's exactly what Joseph is saying right here. This speaks to the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He allows all things, or he causes all things, right? So depending on the situation, he either allows it or causes it. He doesn't cause you to, to sin. He doesn't tempt you. The devil and his, the demons tempt you. God allows you to make that choice to either say that you love the devil by falling for that temptation or that you love God by overcoming that temptation. You will always be faced with these temptations the rest of your life and you'll struggle with different ones at different points in your life. Maybe at one point in time it's alcohol. Maybe at another point in time it's drugs or tobacco or adultery or pornography or cheating or lying or stealing or coveting or something. But God can use that pain and he will use you overcoming temptations to shape you into his character, right? You get justified the moment you're saved, and then you spend the rest of your life in that, what I call sanctification, which is conforming to the character of God. You look more and more like him over time. Though you'll take a step backwards at times, you move, you keep marching forward knowing that God loves you, and His righteous, he clothes you in his righteousness. You're not righteous on your own. So he understands right here that whatever evil you did, God is going to use it for good, right? One of my daughters, uh, we have two children who died. One of them, uh, Kate, on her uh, tombstone is Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. 
And what, what God is, what we're seeing right here is kind of a parallel to that verse. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So think about something in your life that was very hurtful that someone did to you in your life. And just go on and kind of think about that just for a second. Someone intended to hurt you. Someone wanted to do something to you to intentionally hurt you or to amplify how they feel, their power, their money situation, whatever it is, or they were angry at you, they were covetous uh, and, and wanted to take from you something. They violated you somehow. But God will use that for good. Right? God didn't cause the evil. God, God doesn't, he didn't even create evil. He created the opportunity for evil. And because you got to have a choice of right and wrong, I'm, I'm sorry, of uh, a choice so that you can choose to love or not to love. You can choose to love one thing or another thing. And that's the power of love. No matter how smart a robot may be or something may be with AI or otherwise, that robot can never love because it doesn't have free will. Whereas we have free will and we have that choice to love. And that means that we have the choice to choose God. But all things work together for good. God's going to work them out. No matter what decisions we make in our own free will, God's going to work out things because he's you know, dealing with billions of humans that are alive right now, not to mention billions in the future and billions in the past. And uh, he's going to use it all for his good and his glory. But remember that the path to destruction is, or the road to destruction is wide, but the path to eternal life to Jesus is very narrow. Not many people will go down that road. They know about it. But they'll choose to go the other way. They'll stay with the world. They'll stay with the herd. They won't be strong enough to say, that is wrong. I want to choose Jesus. I don't like that. That doesn't make sense. That's illogical. I'm going to choose the Bible, which has so much uh, evidence for it, right? The Bible is written in three different languages on three different continents. There's over 66, there's 66 books written by 40 different people over a period of uh, 1,500 years. And there's over 20,000 archaeological finds to support it. There's over 20,000 manuscripts to support it. There's one central theme and no contradictions. How could that be possible? Only if it's the Word of God. And um, then he goes on in 20 and says, But as for you, you meant evil against, uh, against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day, to save many people alive. So there's purpose, right? There's purpose to all that. And the pain was not wasted. We look at this and we're like, oh, Joseph, Joseph is powerful. He had to go through tremendous pain to get to this point and to get to this uh, power that he had in, in Egypt. He realized that his pain was not wasted. He was, his brothers tried to kill him. Then they have successfully sold him into slavery. He was a slave. He was imprisoned. He was accused of rape. God didn't waste any of that pain. Don't let your pain be wasted. Use your pain for God's glory. And you have pain in your past. I know you do. Everybody does. Something. Maybe it's something that you did or something that someone did to you. But don't dwell on it. Don't let it define you. Don't let it put you down. But use that pain for God's glory. Shine. Shine where you are. Um, 21. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. So he says it again right here, just two verses apart. Do not be afraid. He says it again. Unbelievable, right? We get twice the daily dose here, right, today. Uh, 22, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He returned to Egypt, right, right here. He and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. So he goes back from the land of Canaan where they buried father Jacob, Israel. 
and then went bound to Egypt. What's interesting is that he died at exactly 110 years old. We go back and uh, people have studied and gone back through uh, Egyptian records and, and writings and stuff. And they, the Egyptians thought that 110 was the perfect age. So fittingly, God took Joseph home at exactly 110 years of age so the Egyptians would revere Joseph and think more deeply about his life. Not worship him as a god, but make them really think, oh, who is this god? Because Joseph loved God and pointed people towards God, and God wanted to put an uh, exclamation point on that. Verse 23, Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. So he was alive for a long time. The children of Meshir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Notice that word knees, right? I like to think of him uh, in, in kind of two ways. One, maybe bouncing the kids around on his knees, loving on them when they're young, and also on his knees playing with them, and also on his knees in prayer. Uh, but he was involved in their life, it looks like. He, he took time and paid attention to them and loved on them. If you're in a position to have children or grandchildren, it is uh, essential that you witness to them, right? You build that trust and that love so that they'll listen to you about Jesus because they're going to make their own decision and you want that you want to have an impact on that. Almost done here, 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So, uh, he's, he's, this actually would happen hundreds of years later when Moses would lead the Israelites out of Egypt, carrying the bones of Joseph with them. Verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, this is the last thing we'll, we'll say about this, is the um, most important Egyptians, and Joseph certainly was an important Egyptian. Most of them had monuments or pyramids, but not Joseph. He got neither. Instead, he wanted his bones to be carried to Israel. One day, he didn't want to be stuck in Egypt. Now, notice this. This is really cool. Notice that Genesis opens with creation, the story of creation, right? Where everything came from. It tells the story of fallen men throughout Genesis, and it ends with the story of the most Christ-like man in the Bible. That's Joseph. In fact, he's a type of Christ. Yet the book of Genesis ends with a picture of a coffin, right? Did you see that? How odd. Well, not really. It's a, I think it's a blatant and tangible picture of the consequence of sin. Death is the result of sin. So God created us. Adam and Eve were perfect. They were immortal. They could have lived forever. But then they, they disobeyed God. And that sin, that pride led to death, right? Death is a result of sin. And then we need redemption from that sin in order to live with a perfect and righteous and holy God. And that's where Jesus comes in to cleanse us of our sins. So the question is whether you want to be raised from the dead with Jesus. The offer is still right here, right now. You can be reborn and raised from that coffin to the newness of life so that you will never taste eternal death. But instead eternal life. And that's the question each person is faced with. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, now is the time. We just saw in Genesis, God created. We screwed up. We need redemption. At the end of the book ends in a coffin. 
But that's not the end of the story of the coffin. Death is not the end of the story. It's being raised to the newness of life. But how we picture death is, death is how someone takes their last breath on earth. The true death of a believer occurs the moment they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I, Me, right here, speaking right here in this podcast, but I've already died. And I immediately was reborn, right? I was buried. My sins were buried with Jesus. And I was raised to the newness of life, and I will never die again. You'll Oh, when I die you know, on earth in a day or a year or a hundred years or whenever it is, we're going to say, oh, Mike died. No, I didn't. I just took my last breath in, on, on earth, and I woke up in heaven, period. I've already gone through my death, and I was immediately reborn. And if you don't have that, now is the time. It's not magic words. It's just inviting Jesus into your life, declaring that he is Lord of lords, that he created the world, that you love him, you understand your sin, and you want him to atone for your sin, that you ask forgiveness and that you understand that he can take away all the penalty of that sin. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Help us to know that there are things that people have done against us and will do against us that are intended for evil, intended to harm us. Lord, but you will use everything for your good. Help us to understand that, not surface level, but deeply, to trust that you are sovereign, that you will work things out. That doesn't mean we're going to be blessed with you know an easy job and a fat bank account and no problems in life. No. The mightiest people in the Bible suffered greatly. And a lot of the mightiest people that I know on earth suffer greatly. But Lord, help us to suffer well. Help us to not waste the pain, but to use it for your glory. In your amazing name, amen. This podcast brought to you in part by the Portfolio Protection Store, where smart investors go to protect their life savings from stock market losses. Visit our website to register for our webinar, theportfolioprotectionstore.com. The webinar is about portfolio protection and safe money ideas for ages 50 plus. Visit theportfolioprotectionstore.com. Located in Austin, Texas, license number 288-7886.